Welcome to the Boston Society of the New Jerusalem's Church on the Hill podcast. If you like it, consider joining us at 140 Bowden Street in Boston for more, or visit us on the web at churchonthehillboston.org. Good morning. Our first reading today comes from the book of Acts, chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, It is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going and they were gazing up toward heaven, Suddenly, two men in white robes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Reading is from Luke chapter 24. In verses 44 to 53. Then Jesus said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, words that everything written upon me in the law of Moses, prophets, and psalms psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things and see that I am standing upon you what my father promised. So stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Then Jesus led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he withdrew from them and was carried slowly up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple blessing God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our reading from the writings of Emanuel Swedenborg today is taken from the Lord, section 35. The Lord, 
by means of his trials and subsequent constant victories, and by means of his suffering on the cross, which was the final trial. He completely subdued the hells and completely glorified his human nature. Since the Lord rose into heaven with his divine and human natures united into one and sat at the right hand of God, which means gaining omnipotence, it follows that his human substance or essence is now just like his divine substance or essence. Last Wednesday, I think it was, was officially Ascension Day. I don't know how many people here pay attention to the Christian feast calendar, but this Sunday following, uh, following that is when we celebrate on a Sunday Ascension Day. Now, I want to be clear on this. A lot, a lot of people don't celebrate Ascension Day anymore. I know, really. Who, why on earth do they do that? You know, actually, there was a scholar, a minister and scholar, who, who commented on why the Protestant church ceases to celebrate Ascension Day. Now, the Roman Catholic tradition has a very clear-cut calendar, and there are masses done every single day, and you better bet you they still celebrate Ascension Day. But Protestants don't. And, and there's one person who wrote a very good paper saying it's because Protestants are embarrassed. We're embarrassed about Ascension Day. Now, for those of you who don't know, that sculpture's name is the Ascension, by the way. This is the day where we liturgically celebrate what that sculpture is about. Jesus being lifted up to he heaven. Apparently, the idea that Jesus ascended up to heaven is not believable by Protestants, is what this person says. The reason it's not believable isn't the idea of Jesus going to heaven. It's the fact that when we learned that heaven wasn't behind the clouds, the idea of Jesus going up came into question. Where was he going up to? There's no, there's no heaven up there. He's just taking an elevator to space. What's up with that? So this one author was very pivotal. And this is right around the time that the rise of... A lot of people think that fundamentalists uh, are an older tradition because they're more conservative. We need to keep in mind that actually the most conservative religious groups that exist are actually offshoots of more liberal groups. They are people who tended to get upset by change, upset by the modernizing society, and they created a more conservative rubric in response to that happening. So as we started learning that above the clouds was not a little city, as we started to learn that there isn't a black cloth with pinholes, you know, there are stars and they're distances away. The idea of heaven not being above us actually caused a theological crisis for people who take the Bible literally. Why would Jesus go up? Now granted, a virgin birth, miracles, resurrection, all that, that was not hard for them to stomach. 
But the idea that Jesus would go up was. It's a kind of story. All the fantastical stories about ascension in the Bible. I mean, this is not the first time. There are stories of Enoch and other people just disappearing and going places. But this story got something got triggered when heaven wasn't above us. What's interesting to me is that in our reading from Acts, the statement was made to the disciples, why are you looking up? What I find interesting is the person who is questioning whether or not the ascension actually happened in a certain way is still standing there looking up. He's saying, but where's God? I don't see God when I look up. Now, the Bible, by the way, uses directions all sorts of ways. The idea of Sheol, it always says is down, or the idea of hell is always down. And yet, people aren't getting upset about those passages, but God going up and not being there is bothersome to people. Why is it so bothersome that God is not where you are looking for him? I don't know how many people have that thought in their head. This is actually something that I'm assuming that most of us struggle with. I'm not saying that this person who's looking up is that tremendously different. What happens when the place we expect to find God, we don't see anything? Do we hide it? Do we deal with doubt? What is the purpose of this story? Because I think the purpose of this story helps clarify something for us. You see, this was not just a time when the disciples felt lonely. They had an incredible experience. We hear about it in the gospel. They witnessed Jesus going up, and they were jubilant, and they were happy But then clearly, one account says there were people who stayed there looking up. Now, I don't know. How many of you remember the transfiguration? Probably not many people know what the transfiguration is. I'm throwing out church terms at you. The transfiguration is the moment that Jesus was on top of the mountain with two other disciples, and Jesus, Elijah, and Moses became present in the clouds. And then a voice from on high said, Behold, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And the other two were gone. And instantly Peter said, Well, let's build an altar. Let's make little homes right here for the place that we saw Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. Let's commemorate this spot. This sort of mountaintop experience, this experience of Jesus ascending up to heaven, they wanted to make the spot they were standing in holy, and they probably would have created a temple with a hole in the top and a chair so you could sit down and look through the hole and wait for Jesus to come back down. I find it interesting. Jesus keeps saying God is not found in the location or in the space, but in our loving of other people. The idea that the disciples marveled at this moment when, and were paralyzed and wanting to hold on to it is not unrealistic. In fact, I'm guessing 
Let's be honest. How many of you at least one point in your life said something like, I remember the good old days? <laughs> Speaking of last week, <laughs> how many said, wow, back when I was younger, it wasn't like this? How many people have said, in my day, Shopping centers were closed on Sundays so people could go to church. How often do we look back at times that we, for one reason or another, proclaim that time was better and try and make an altar or a tabernacle or some temple there that we can look at, and in doing so, we take our eyes off of the prize? We really want to praise the good old days, and in doing so, we actually cease to be able to live in the present. God is with us. God is not in the past. So my question to us all is, why are we looking up? Why do we keep trying to find comfort in what we think is going to happen in the past versus actually doing the things we are called by God to do in the moment. I don't know how many, I mean, we, we clearly went to England this morning. I don't know how many people know much about the Holy Land. Within a few hundred years of the death of Christ, all of a sudden, shrines, and temples, anything mentioned in the Bible, you can go and visit that spot where a temple has been built. This is the rock where Mary rested. This is the place where this happened. That is the place where that happened. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that God wants any of these things. Right? Jesus tells us not, go out and build me monuments to remember what happened 2,000 years ago. That's not what the Lord ever says. He says, go out, be a witness of love, and transform the world. But we as humans, we make altars and we make temples to the things that we think of as good. And we focus on that past instead of saying, what I'm really being called to do is not to say, boy, my schedule is too busy because all of these stores are open. I can't go to church. That's not what God is telling us to do, to say, let's look back at the time when I didn't have choice. God is telling us to make the right choice in the moment. The disciples in this story that went back to Jerusalem, going back to the temple in praise and worship, these are people who did not get stuck in the moment, but went back to Jerusalem and got back to some degrees to their life. They were waiting to be sent the Holy Spirit so they could have their new mission. The Lord wants us to reintegrate our life and to go back to Jerusalem. And by the way, Swedenborg has a system of correspondences and symbolism. Jerusalem has a very important symbolic meaning. Jerusalem for Swedenborg, well, our whole body is considered the Holy Land. Jerusalem means 
that our actions are governed by love. The disciples going back to Jerusalem, Swedenborg says, means that this is the disciple going back and living their life acting from love. The temple, by the way, is not a specific building or place for Swedenborg. It's God actually existing in your heart. Like when you go out and you interact with people, you actually are aware of the love of God in your life. If we were biblical literalists, we're still waiting for Jesus to come. We should all go to Jerusalem and sit in the temple, right? But we all know that's not what it's about. We all know that when this concept of being in Jerusalem in the temple is taught to the disciples, that it's about living the life of a disciple, living the message and teachings that the Lord has taught us. We are about to go through communion. In doing communion, in some ways, we are looking back to an event. But the point of doing communion is not to get lost in the Lord's love for us that caused his death. The point of doing that is to find a new piece of truth that helps us live in the moment, gives us some inkling of how we can be devoted to God through lives of service. But if all we do is we sit around and think about how good God is, if we just think or sit down and think about how loving Jesus was, but we never do anything, does Jesus' life have any worth to us? That's what it means to look up. That's what it means if we sit there and we go to church and we say, we're in the good club, but we don't do any good. We're just looking up. We have just built new altars, new shrines, new temples to something that has already happened. And what we are doing is getting stuck. Is your faith stuck? Are you looking up and thinking about the times at which you have memories of experiencing God? Are you spending more time caring about building altars and centers of adoration versus being loving to your neighbor? What does it mean for us to get stuck on the mountaintop? The Lord had to leave us in order to empower us to do what we are called to do. The ascension is important not because God got the magic elevator, but because now we are empowered to act. Before, everyone kept looking to the Lord saying, Lord, you have to do it. I'm just here to watch. But after the ascension, you are empowered to act the love of God's teaching. Are you going to continue to look at good old days? Are you going to remember the time when things were right versus the time when things really needed love? That's the funny thing to me. When we, we look back and say, oh, the world's going 
hell in a handbasket. It used to be so much better. We are being called so much more in the present to bring God's love into the world, and yet we want to spend our time reminiscing and remembering about things that actually probably weren't as good as we thought they were. Because here's the thing, every generation, by the way, every generation looks at the world and says, oh, things are going to hell in a handbasket. My grandfather was sitting there saying, oh, things were so much better when I was younger. My father probably was saying, oh, things were so much better when I was younger. I can sit here and say, oh, things are so much better when I was younger. How far back do you think that pattern goes? I don't know if it's true. I, I am not a, a scholar of Socrates or Plato, but I was told once by a professor that I respect that there's a line where either Plato or Socrates is talking about the young kids listening to music and waste, that, that doesn't make any sense and wasting their lives and not doing what really matters. That goes back to Socrates if it's true. I have no reason to think it's not true because I'm guessing that most people don't have faith in the next generation. What are you going to do about it? What are we going to do about it except bring the goodness and love that we have to care for the people who we are concerned about and in doing so, help them? But to some degree, the Lord ascended for a very specifically good reason. We needed to do it on our own. What does it mean for us rather than to build shrines and criticize the people who don't visit them to prepare the new people, step back and let a new future take hold? The ascension is about a radically new way for the disciples to practice their faith. The Lord is unified in the Trinity and has gone up to sit on the right hand of God. What are we supposed to do? We now have direct access to the divine through the life of Christ, empowering us to live and learn in a new way. Will you still look up? Or will you acknowledge the new life, the new call, and the new discipleship? Amen. Thank you for listening to the Boston Society of the New Jerusalem's Church on the Hill podcast. If you liked what you hear, consider joining us at 140 Bowden Street, Boston, for more. Or visit us on the web at churchonthehillboston.org.